So Money Episode 502, Sharice Conanen, financial wellness expert. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and it is the last day in November. I hope you all had a really great Thanksgiving. Looking forward to the holidays, spending some time with family and friends. And as we round out November, I thought it would be really important to feature a female entrepreneur. You know, in light of uh, the election, there's a lot of concern about the role of women in business, the role of women in entrepreneurship. Believe it or not, some women are worried about harassment and discrimination. And I recently uh, lended some insights and my plan of action to Inc. Magazine on, you know, just what I think it's important for all of us to understand as we're, uh, you know, working together in this post-election, how we can continue to support women, how we can continue to fight for equality in the workplace. And Sharice Concanon is our guest today. She's a financial wellness expert, but has a lot of experience as well starting businesses. And she's going to take us behind the scenes of what it has been like for her specifically raising capital, working in, in the very busy, crowded, competitive fintech space, which is really hot right now. A little bit more about Sharice. She once worked at J.P. Morgan, and from there, saved up enough money to begin her own business. She co-founded a company called Smarties, and the business actually shut down after a few years. And so we're going to talk about what brought her to that point, what it was like running a tech startup. And now she's a financial wellness expert, taking all that experience. She's combined it with a CFA. And so she's going to share advice that she also lends to her blog, Cherie Says, where she merges her passion for entrepreneurship, investing, and all things finance. Here is Sharice Concanon. Sharice Concanon Johnson, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much, Farnoosh, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Just came back from Japan, I understand. How was the trip? It was amazing. The husband and I got a chance to just relax, step away from all the gadgets and just enjoy three years of uh, marriage. Wow. And But Tokyo doesn't seem like a very calm place to me. I feel like that's a real, that's like going to Times Square for your honeymoon. I mean, um, how, what was, uh, what was the best part of the trip? It's funny. Uh, it's funny that you should say that. We had the same impression going in. And you know what? We were pleasantly surprised. We were in an area called Akihabara, which is the tech slash hip hop slash anime area. And quite relaxing, to say the least, because there are plenty of parks nearby. There are plenty of cafes. And we just took one day at a time and tried to just enjoy the food, the tea, and, you know, just being outside of the United States. So it was, it was actually quite a blast. And you were there how long? We were there for 10 days. All right. So such is the life of an entrepreneur. You can take time (laughs) off and relax. And speaking of that, 
You are now a financial wellness expert by way of business school and working uh, in corporate in the financial industry, starting your own business as well. When we met up a few years ago, you were at the time launching a company called um, Smarties. That's right. That's which right. you you know, learned a lot from that experience. It's um, not something that you're working on anymore. And now you have taken all of that experience, all of that success and failure and said, I want to now help people one-on-one as a financial wellness expert. Tell us a little bit about how you differentiate because we've had a lot of wellness, money wellness people on the show, CFAs, CFPs. Where do you see yourself uh, being competitive and, and differentiating? Absolutely. Great question. And you're right. The space is, can be very crowded. And as you know, lots of folks have good advice. And what really makes me stand out is my unique voice around investing. And I've taken my years on Wall Street, investing in the stock market directly, but also running a business in the fintech space and really coming back to the market and saying, hey, specifically for my ladies out there who want to take it to the next level when it comes to investing. Uh, So many people feel that they can't get their handle around some of the concepts or even just take that plunge to not just have their money sit in the savings account or checking account, but really invest it in the market. And that's really what I want to bring, the authenticity of having done it and then really trying to help people take it to the next level and overcome the fear because fear is one of the main reasons that keeps people back. And when people see someone who's done it, but also is encouraging to them and where they want to go, that's where I come in. Where does that fear come from? I just read a statistic from Barclays that said something like 68% of women overall in the States keep all of their money in cash. Mm. Or not investing. That's horrifying. I didn't realize That's it was right. more than the majority. It was the majority of women. Um, it's not the case with, with men. So in your work and with talking to so many clients, where do you see this fear stemming from? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a stat that's really important because some of the data that I've seen and just in talking to hundreds of women, it's, it really comes from a lack of confidence. And that lack of confidence comes from not having done it before and not having other women who look like you, who are quite frankly, a badass about their investing and sharing the tips and the knowledge that they've endured and the successes and failures that they've had in the markets or in other investing realms. And so I think that once women have other examples, but also equipping themselves with the knowledge that they can do it just as well as men, because the studies and statistics show that when we do invest, we actually outperform our male counterparts. Isn't that something? Yes. Isn't that, I love that statistic. I mean, it's just, it's like, Nip it in the butt, you know, like if only you knew that when you do attempt to invest, you would actually on average outperform your male counterpart. That's that's right. That's motivating to me. Um, That's right. And you said, you know, we we don't have as much practice. It's not something that has been introduced to women as a class, as a gender for many, many years as it has for men. I mean, at this point for men you know, generally speaking, it's more like an assumption, like you just are going to invest. 
Um, whereas we don't really have the role models as the men did, or just even the, the historical reference to feel comfortable doing it. That makes a lot of sense. So then how do you get your clients over that fear? Sure. I think a big piece of that is all about the attitude. And one of the things that I believe in strongly, this is one of the things that I live by is that as women and men sneak and listen to this too, so it's applicable to both. We have to be the CEO of our money. And that assumes a posture that we want control and we want to be that chief executive officer and pull the strings for what we want to do with our money, set the vision, and then surround ourselves with the right kind of people that can help us execute on that vision as the CEO. Because if you ever run your business, and you you know this, Farnoosh, you, you are your own CEO, it's all about what do I want to do? Having an attitude that I can do better than my competition, but also I want to do better for myself. And when it comes to your money, unless you have that CEO attitude, and that's something that I tell my clients and uh, the women that I speak to in workshops often is that assume that role of CEO of your money. Because I think not just women, I think there's a general... um, feeling sometimes, especially when the stock market crashes, when we're in a recession, when people, companies are laying workers off, that it's not in our control, you know, that our finances Mm -hmm. sometimes are uh, up to somebody else because somebody else has to give us the job. Somebody else gives us the handout as it may be or doesn't. And so I saw that a lot during the recession where people were like, where's my handout, you know, or I can't Mm -hmm. get a job, so I'm screwed. But mm-hmm. then at the same time, you also saw people who got laid off, lost their savings and rebuilt on their own. They just bootstrapped their way to, to another level of success. And so you kind of get to see both sides of how people react to financial challenges. Absolutely. I mean, and, and part of that, I mean, you talked about the recession, you talked about when things go wrong. I mean, I think that's when the stripes that you get as a CEO really come to fruition, because that's when you learn the most. And that's when all of the philosophies that you might have learned when things were going well come into play. So one of the things that I tell people when the stock market crashes is to just pause take a step back and revisit the philosophy that you put together as that CEO of your money, such that when bad things happen, i.e. the stock market, you can take stock of whether or not time to hold, whether it's time to buy, or whether it's time to, to say goodbye to some of the investments that you have based on the situation and how it ties back to a philosophy that you need to come up with as the CEO of your money. So speaking of Maybe you just mentioned, you know, shutting things down, letting things go. Let's take a few years back to when you were in the midst of growing Smarties, your financial platform. You made the very conscious decision to discontinue. And Absolutely. there was even an article in the Chicago Tribune that you talked about how you, in doing so, you were just following your own advice. Shutting down your company was you following your own financial advice. Tell, tell us about that and what was the reasoning behind it? I mean, because look, these days, if you look at financial technology, it's booming. There's so many, there's so much demand for tools and resources and apps that help us with our money. I would 
playing, you know, the devil's advocate, I'd say you should have stick stuck with it, stuck with it. You mm-hmm. know, you could have been very mm-hmm. successful with it. Why did you want to move on? Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 a great question because it it forces me to to share exactly the thought process that I was going through at the time. So if I rewind to the decision that I made, which was one of how is the business going forward, going to compete, going to excel and going to actually produce a scalable business model that can make money. And when I looked at those things, I had to be honest with myself in that, A, can I compete with the level of funding and the level of exposure and marketing that this company has? I had just been through a round of fundraising. And as as you probably know from your own business and talking to lots of entrepreneurs, you know, you take money from investors and before you go back out to take additional money, you have to evaluate, is this business operating at the level that it's going to actually produce a successful fundraise, but also is the market demand for the product there? And what we found is that, no, uh, we weren't operating at the level that we needed to be operating at. And number two, the market demand wasn't there. Now, there are a bunch of reasons for that. And again, I think fundraising was a big piece in that we didn't have enough capital to really compete effectively. These days, fintech companies that are successful, I mean, as you'll look at any of them, and most of them have raised over a million to $2 million just to compete, just to hire the right kind of engineers and developers to, to, to sort of play in the game. And we weren't at that level. We bootstrapped a fintech company, which is crazy when I actually think about it. And who we were competing with. And we made great strides over the years that we ran Smarties. But ultimately, I could not pour any more of my savings into the company. And I had a stop point. Um, And because we realized that the business wasn't scalable to the effect of actually turning a profit over the long term, we had to make the decision to close. And I learned this lesson early on in my investing career, which is when it's time to sell and it's time that the investment philosophy by which you made the original decision on a stock is no longer valid, it's time to close. And for us and for the business, that was a smart business decision. Um, and I'm, I'm happy and, and confident that, that we made the best choice at the time. You hear so many stories about entrepreneurs who sold everything. They ha- they went from zero to success. It seems like it was overnight. I mean, those are the stories mm. that make headlines, obviously, because they're headline worthy. But but being that you, you know, experienced this and probably know so much more about the real deal behind entrepreneurship, it's better to be prudent, right? It's better to, like you t- have talked about, have some savings, have um, some runway so that you can then make more, uh, like you can make better, take better risks. Um, like, I mean, I've interviewed people who like, I lived in my car for six months and I started my business that way, or I sold my house. (laughs) I, um, I didn't eat for six months, you know, I mean, so, but that's, that glorifies entrepreneurship in a way. It's like all these heroes of entrepreneurship, but the real entrepreneurs who are smart about it don't really go about it that way, do they? No, no, I don't think so at all. I mean, I think the smartest entrepreneurs 
A, you'll find out that most of them have failed at a business before they've had the success. So don't let them fool you thinking that this was their first time at having a successful exit or having a successful business from the ground up. Most entrepreneurs have failed one or two times before they make it big. Um, also, I think what's important is to always have some type of income coming in. And this is a mistake that I made where I, because I had the luxury of having savings, I didn't feel as much pressure to get income so quickly. And that's a mistake. I would tell anyone trying to start a business that make sure that you cover yourself such that you have some form of income coming in such that you don't run through everything so quickly and you're not racking up their credit card bills, because ultimately, regardless of the outcome, you have to be able to rebound and bounce back and also do so gracefully. What you don't want to happen is for the entrepreneurial journey to rip your heart out, your dreams deferred, and you never are able to recover. And so many entrepreneurs go that route and they try once, it's not successful, and they're back to a corporate gig or another type of gig and not able to rebound. And that's unfortunate. And if you can make that risk adjustment, risk adjusted assessment up front, that'll go a long way into sort of padding whatever outcome uh, awaits you. Completely agree. What made you so interested in the money space? What's, you know, I ask guests often about maybe a story growing up as a kid, maybe that was something pivotal. What, what brought you to this space? Yes. I mean, Farnoosh, it was a combination of things. I wish I could tell you it was one, one magic bullet. But I, I will tell you, though, growing up in a household where my mom was a nurse and my dad was a teacher, I grew up around very compassionate people who understood that you're not in this world for yourself. You're in this world to be part of a larger community. And it's important for you to always be thinking about others in addition to yourself. And so when I went off to college, I went to Yale. Yale is set in New Haven, Connecticut, which is all about uh, having this large academic institution in this community, actually, that that's not as privileged. And so um, I had to work my way through Yale. I worked every single year that I was there. My parents both worked two jobs. And so seeing the sacrifice they made for me and my mom started to invest in the stock market just so I could go to school. Um, so you take that experience of having these parents who care about the world having to work my way through college and then being in an environment where there were other part members of the community that didn't have as much, meaning that those who lived outside of the Yale walls, I got so interested in wealth distribution. So I majored in economics and American studies and those interests took me to Wall Street. And so here I was, 22, uh, at J.P. Morgan, learning now how to invest under a star portfolio manager. I mean, it, it didn't just happen out of thin air. I mean, I had to work my butt off to get in that seat. But my eyes were open to, wow, if I could learn how to invest in the stock market what joy I could bring back to my own community, to people who might not have had this exposure. And I got so excited because being around wealth is eye-opening. It was just like my Yale experience in the sense that this cultural capital that people experience and what wealth can allow you to do um, is, is, is powerful. And I got 
I got inspired to to learn the the skill set that would help me help others, you know, grow their wealth and do better. And I think what's awesome is that your mom was a role model in some ways, right? Because like you were saying earlier, what what kind of stymies women in it to invest is because we don't see it and fr- we don't see people like us doing it. And there was your mom investing so that you could go to Yale. Absolutely. What a great, I mean, mom, you've, like, she, you've, we've come full circle here. <laughs> hey, absolutely. See, you pulled it out. My mom, just to give you the story, my mom bought me roughly $2,500 worth of Dell stock when I went to college. I mean, I, at the time, right, I had no idea how investing worked. All I can remember is that I could own part of a company by buying stock. That's what she told me. And if it did well, I would do well. And so when I graduated from Yale, that Dell stock, and you got to remember, this is around 2002. Uh, so tech was coming on back and Dell was one of those bellwethers that still did well. My stock turned into $5,000. And so the amount went from 2,500 to 5,000. It doubled. And absolutely, if my mom hadn't done that, I would not have had that exposure to a woman who, again, professionally was a nurse, but learned how to invest in the stock market, not just for herself, but so that her daughter can have some extra money to help pay for school. Yeah, I think she helped you make it seem very accessible and not this this activity that is reserved exclusively for the wealthy or the white man, right? Absolutely. I think a lot of us still harbor those stereotypes of what investing is, who, who investing is for and who invests um, so tell me a little bit about your so money moment. So, you know, we talked about smarties and it didn't go as you had thought. You may or may not characterize it as a failure, but it was a, a lesson learned, right? Um, and now let's transition to a so money moment, some, a moment in your career or financial life where you just felt that you know, the financial stars aligned. You worked hard, accomplished something tremendous. Absolutely. I mean, one of the so money moments, even coming out of Smarties, because I think that was a pivotal point for me in recognizing that a business failure doesn't define you as a person. Um, and particularly as uh, for us who, you know, strive for the top are always used to getting what, the, what they want. Um, you know, you, you have these moments that, that sort of rebalance you. And so one of my so money moments came after Smarties when I still wanted to be part of this personal finance and investing space. I still felt like I had some good advice to offer. And that is the case today. And so I ended up being a brand ambassador for SoFi. SoFi stands for social finance. Most people might know them as SOFI.com. We've had the CEO on our show, actually. You can look it up in the The, archives. Yeah. That's right. Yes, that's right. Uh, And so, you know, this is back in 2013, 2014. And Basically, SoFi approached me, hey, Sharice, we know that you were working at Smarties, but, you know, we'd love for you to be a brand ambassador for for our company. Could you do that for us and just write about us as as you would review any other 
product or service. And so I said, hey, sounds like a good idea. I wouldn't have done it had I not really believed in the product. And I did truly believe in SoFi's product. At the time, uh, there were few competitors out there to them, and they had a formidable product, which uh, basically allows a student or an alum to refinance a student loan. And for those who don't know what that means, it's basically just allowing you to get a lower interest rate on your loan, just as you would refinance a mortgage into a lower rate. And I wrote about SoFi and that traction to SoFi uh, ended up resulting in them getting uh, over over millions of loans because of my words and because of uh, my recommendation of their product. And I got paid pretty handsomely for that. And that millions. was- Yeah, millions. I hope you I mean, got like a dollar. Did you get like a dollar for every million loan? I mean, then you, <laughs> did you make millions of dollars? <laughs> I didn't make millions of dollars, but I made quite a chunk quite a chunk of change. I can't disclose exactly how much is because of the confidentiality. Come but on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know this. Uh, but I, I, I really uh, was able to see the value of my words as well as a different business model for which financial advice can be given. And again, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance in wanting to maintain independence and authenticity, but also standing behind brands that you believe in, as you well know, Farnoosh. And so one of the things that I learned in my so money moment is that what I can offer is valuable. And there's a price tag that comes along with my words. And for those who have a brand and who can, uh, influence others around them, there's a business to be made out of that. And that's what I learned coming out of that Smarties experience, which was powerful too, and led me to the Cherie Says platform, which is what I do now. And it's a totally different business model. And it works uh, in part through some of the relationships and brand ambassador relationships that I have and writing and speaking, all of the different things that take my unique voice around investing, uh, bottles it up in a different way and it's a different business model. And so I was, I was very proud of that. So money moment for myself because it took me to in a different direction and really uh, excelled my ability to, to influence it. Yeah. Come to market. Talk about being influential. That's, I would say also a so money moment for SoFi (laughs) is hiring you. Yes. Uh, thank you. Tell us about a habit that you practice. We uh, want to always learn from guests how they make their financial lives easier for themselves. So if there's something that you use or something that you do to that end, tell us what it is. Sure. So one of the habits, and this relates to finances and investing, but it actually is separate. And one of the habits that I have every morning is a daily devotion. And I get up, I got up this morning, I had it, uh, where I go into my happy place. Uh, I have a chair in my house that is just made for me and to get comfy, to get into my journal, to get into my devotion. I have a book called The Word of Life, uh, which is which has every day, it has a daily devotion and take my Bible and all those things come to fruition for me. I take some time to just pause and think about and pray about what I want 
to happen today, but also try and listen in for what God is telling me for that particular day. And what that does is it centers me to a place of peace and calm. And whatever is going to happen in this day, I know that the strength and the energy that I get from having that daily devotion, it just sets me off to the right path. And so it's that habit that actually helps me to have my own mindset of a CEO that helps me to have a habit and perspective that today is a new day. Whatever happened yesterday, forget it. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Whatever's going to happen tomorrow, leave it for tomorrow. But it allows me to be present. And it's that presence that helps with everything that I do. It's such a, uh, how do I explain? I mean, it sounds so obvious to me, but yet so few of us do it. I don't do this. <laughs> I don't do this. And I want to do it. It's, it's not, hard to but do. it's not effortless. You really need to be That's right. conscious. Did it at some point become effortless? I feel like it would be a lot of effort in the beginning. You got to remind yourself to do it. Life gets busy, especially if you're a parent. Uh-huh. Um, but at this stage, do you feel like it's just become second nature for you to, to have this presence and to have this realization and actualization of your life on a daily basis? I mean, I would be lying to you to say that it's always effortless, Barnoosh. I can't do that. Uh, I will tell you, though, that by making it a habit and disciplining myself to do it, even when I don't want to do it and I don't always want to do it every time because I'm sometimes rushing out of the house or, you know, I have uh, a husband and, uh, you know, other people just take up time as well. And I took the time to develop the habit. And then once the habit got formed, there were less instances where it got disturbed. And so again, it doesn't always work perfectly, but I do try to lean on the fact that the discipline is there. Um, And it takes, you know, a little bit of time, but once you do it, I think you'll find that it's so beneficial to your day and it sets the course and the tone for how I interact with people, the the desires that are in my heart, um, the things that don't go right. And I can just sort of put them there and put them out there and, and let, let them be as they will. Well, I'm going to let you be and let you go back to work. And thank you so much for really these, just these nuggets of inspiration. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about your journey, your childhood, your realizations, your failures, your successes. It's, we really appreciate it. And um, it's definitely influential. I mean, you're changing lives just by being you, Sharice. <laughs> well, Farnoosh, it is always a pleasure to hang out with you. Thank you so much for having me. And I couldn't think of another better place in this moment to spend than with you. So thanks so much. Our pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Sharice, her website is sharicesays.com. All this information is over at somoneypodcast.com in case you missed the audio, you want to download it, you want to download the transcript, leave a comment. And if you want to leave us a question for the Friday episodes while you're at somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh. And that way your question can go directly into our inbox and in the queue for an upcoming Friday episode. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. Money.